Welcome to the A Jesus Church podcast. We're a family seeking to become like Jesus, empowered by His presence to partner in God's creative work of restoring the world. We pray this episode encourages and equips you along the journey. Welcome to AJC and Merry Christmas, everyone. Well, that was, that was like one person. Thank you, Jenna. Appreciate that. Thank you. Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas. There you go. We're in a, that most wonderful time of the year, right? Where everything is so exciting. Uh, my name is Tim. This is my beautiful wife, Brittany. And um, we are thrilled to be able to worship with you this Advent season. Uh, we've been digging into the Christmas story in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, looking kind of at those key voices that came around Jesus as he came into this world. Uh, So far, we've looked at Zachariah and Elizabeth. Uh, Shelby did an incredible job last week, kind of having us reflect on this idea of hope deferred. Uh, They, like some in this room, wrestled with the painful reality of not seeing their longing for a family realized. And they chose to trust God in the midst of that disappointment and remain worshipers. Today, we're going to look at a very different story. Uh, We're going to look at the story of Mary and Joseph. We thought it'd be kind of fun for the two of us to do this together. This is kind of a first for us, actually. So it is kind of exciting. Yeah. So we thought it would be fun to look at the story of Mary and Joseph uh, and their surprising obedience in the midst of a lot of painful unknowns. Uh, So please, if you could, turn with us to Luke 1. Uh, If you need a Bible, go ahead and throw your hand up in the air. Uh, We've got some ushers around the room that'd love to get a Bible in your hand. Um, And we're going to take a look at Mary and Joseph's incredible journey as they step into becoming the parents of the Messiah, God's only begotten son, Jesus. Yeah. Good morning, AJC family. Would you stand with me as we read read from the word? We're in Luke 1, 26 to 35 and 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You will call him Jesus. He'll be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Luke 2, 1, 4 through 7. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. Let's pray. Jesus, we 
will never be able to thank you enough for this story. It's our salvation story. It's you calling two ordinary people, Jesus, to walk a road that was never gonna be easy. And we're thankful for their faithfulness. So may today we learn from them. Jesus, may we take the words that are spoken that have been given through you, Lord, and may we walk more humbly and more faithfully along with you this Christmas maybe than any other because you spoke to us. So Jesus, I just pray that you would come and meet us this morning. Lord, we love you, so speak loudly. Amen. Amen. You can grab a seat. So Mary and Joseph, they might be one of the most famous couples that have ever lived. More famous than Romeo and Juliet, more famous than Spider-Man and MJ, even more famous than Blake Lively and Ryan Reynolds. Uh, And I, I, yeah, there you go. Um, I got the, I got that list for my kids, if that was pretty obvious there. Um, yeah, so th- this, this story so central to the Christmas story is centered around Jesus and a moment that happens in a manger that has been recreated on countless Hallmark cards and precious, you know, precious moment nativity scenes and nativity scenes like this one right here. Mm-hmm. It makes me wonder if sometimes we run the risk of missing their humanity in the midst of the story because of its mass-produced familiarity. I mean, a part of what makes the Christmas story so remarkable is just how unremarkable the two main characters actually are. Mm -hmm. In the Gospel of Luke, the young Mary and Joseph are are contrasted with the more aged Zachariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah and Elizabeth's story starts in Jerusalem, kind of the center of all Jewish civilization. Zechariah is a priest, and he, and he serves in the temple. He is like a part of the very fabric of society and culture for the Jewish people. And that little angelic interaction that he has, it takes place literally in front of the Holy of Holies, the epicenter of God's presence with his people. When John, their son, is born, we hear that the neighbors and all the relatives come and surround them and come around them and in this moment of joy around the naming of this very special baby boy. But Mary and Joseph, Mary and Joseph are very different than that. They're from a place called Nazareth, which uh, if you translate Nazareth back out of kind of the Greek and then into the Hebrew, it's like stick town, literally. That's what it means. It's like a town out in the sticks. I'd be kind of the equivalent of being from like boring Oregon. I mean, I'm not sure who named, I mean, it's a beautiful place, but I'm just not sure who named it because boring is, it kind of speaks to what it is, you know? Uh, the po- okay, well, they probably were not boring people though, I'm sure. But it's an unfortunate name. The point is, is that this town was like nowhere in particular, nowhere special. Later, Nathaniel would actually ask can anything good come from Nazareth? I mean, that's, that's the kind of place it was. Mary was a country girl, 12 to 14 years old, a virgin, very ordinary. I mean, how many women in the New Testament are named Mary? There's a lot. Joseph was a carpenter. He worked with his hands. Uh, he's portrayed as a very unremarkable young man. Whereas Elizabeth had her disgrace removed with her pregnancy, Mary would have most certainly had disgrace brought upon her and Joseph as a result of her pregnancy. 
Their marriage was kind of like this two-step process that first involved this betrothal, a moment where they, uh, there was a formal kind of witnessed agreement where a bride price would be agreed upon. And then there's this one-year engagement process where for, for one entire year, it had like the commitment of a marriage, but without any of the benefits. Each would remain in their own family's home. And then after a year, the groom would go to the bride's home and take the bride home with him into, the, into his own family's home. Gabriel's announcement, it comes somewhere within that engagement year prior to the wedding. Now, the, mirag- the miraculous pregnancy was, was an honor for sure. I mean, the product of the Holy Spirit literally creating new life inside of Mary. But the ramifications to their lives would have been extreme. Though likely no longer practiced, it was still a legal option for pregnancy out of wedlock to result in stoning. So it's really important that we note, Mary said yes. She said yes to the crazy unknown of miraculous conception. She said, she said yes to becoming a first-time mom. She said yes to the isolating shame that would have come as a part of her social circles. And, and Joseph said yes. Yes to the life of an outsider. Yes to becoming a dad, a father to a child that wasn't even his. And when we see Mary and Joseph taking that long trek to Bethlehem, unlike Zachariah and Elizabeth, they are all alone with only each other and the promise of an angel. One commentator observed that there was actually no reason that Mary should have even been with Joseph. She should have actually been with her own family at that moment. And Joseph should have been traveling with his own family getting registered But yet, what we find is just the two of them on their own on a journey to Bethlehem. Yeah. Last year, I was doing a a read-through in Luke with a group of amazing women. Um, It's called The Well, and we'll be starting back up in January. Um, So to be clear, I'm not invited. It's for women at this point. At this point, So any ladies, you're welcome to come. We'll have more details on it. You should do that. I should start my own. Okay. Okay. They heard you. Okay. (laughs) Uh, But... um, the thing was, is during that season, Tim and I were in a difficult ministry um, and calling season. We were wrestling with confusion, trying to make sense of the calling the Lord had put on our heart. It felt like God was asking us to obey and to trust his leading moment by moment, which can feel very unstable. I found myself connecting to this young mom in a way that I never had before. <clears throat> I saw in this young woman the kind of person who slowed down to ponder the things God was saying to her and the life that he was calling her to. She was raising God's own son, the savior of the world. Talk about pressure, huh, ladies? But she slowed down. She treasured each moment. She meditated on God's word and she moved at his pace, not hers. Seeing her reaction to Gabriel, she was troubled and confused. It gave me permission to feel the feelings I was wrestling with at that moment. Having been a mom four times, I know some of the feelings. Mary had the right to be afraid. She had the right to be confused, but she chose to stand on who she knew the Lord to be. Mary often is portrayed as a model believer. She takes Gabriel at his word, 
unlike Zachariah the priest, and she is so faithful in her response. She's honest with her feelings, but courageous in her follow through. Luke tells us that she was favored. I can't imagine an angel actually saying that to me, but I think that'd be pretty amazing. But again, that's what makes her so special. She's not a superhero. She is actually an ordinary young woman who is chosen by an extraordinary God. Yes, she is courageous and brave, but she gives God the glory for what he's doing in her life and the life of her people. She acknowledges that God is the author and that the son she will give birth to will actually be the hero of the story. Exactly. Daryl Bach, who's a New Testament scholar, he says it this way. Despite all these qualities, God's choice of Mary to bear this child springs from his grace, not from any inherent merit that she possesses. She is the object of God's unmerited, graciously provided goodness. Her description as one who has found favor with God makes it clear that God has acted on her behalf. In fact, Mary is totally perplexed by the sudden announcement. She did not ask for or seek this role in God's plans. God has simply stepped into her life and brought her into his service. It seems like Luke actually wants us to identify with Mary, not elevate her. God decided to use a normal person to do an amazing thing. And that means that God can use ordinary people like me, like you, to do incredible things in his purposes, like in our own neighborhoods, in our own workplaces, in our own schools. And it's in the midst of those ordinary places that the extraordinary breaks in. That's where we read in verse 31 where it says, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And this, this is the remarkable nature of a God who never gives up on us. After 400 years of seeming silence, God breaks into human existence through a baby. The young couple become partners with God in his divine plan to save and redeem humankind. Gabriel says that this baby will be called Jesus. That from the Hebrew name Joshua, which means the Lord or Yahweh, is our salvation. According to Matthew 1, verses 21, he will save his people from their sins. And Gabriel says that this baby will be great. This baby will be someone who will rise above all of humanity in authority and in power, and he will be greater than all because he will be called the son of the Most High, which likely meant something slightly different to Mary than it does to us. When we read that phrase, we think of, oh yeah, that's right, because Jesus is God's only begotten son. But Mary would have connected it directly back to King David, which is why this baby will get David's throne, which means he will, know, he, he will be the one to rule and lead his people out of darkness and into light. This baby would be the Messiah, the one who would rescue his people from their oppressors and reign over Israel forever. Or put another way, 
His kingdom will never end. Which means this is the beginning of the long-awaited kingdom of God. The time spoken of by the prophets where God would send a shepherd king to rescue his people and lead his people out of captivity. What's kind of funny to me about this whole scenario is that Gabriel leads with, don't be afraid. And then he drops all of that on Mary. Don't freak out, Mary. But everything you and your people have been waiting for, longing for, for centuries is about to come about through the baby that God is miraculously growing in your virgin womb. But don't freak out. I mean, I, I, mean, there, I would feel anxiety. I mean, I, I, was, uh, I was in the room for all four of our kids' birth, but I have worked very, very hard to never say that we were pregnant because yes, I have never been pregnant. You have never. I have never been pregnant. <laughs> but, but I can imagine that there would be uncertainty and maybe even some fear in the midst of this very unexpected moment. Yeah, absolutely. She must have been feeling so overwhelmed and confused. Mary's story is unique to her, but over the years, it's reminded so much for me of my pregnancy with Mackenzie. Uh, let me give you a little bit of backstory so you kind of see the road the Lord asked him and I to walk. After about two and a half years of infertility, uh, we had our first son, Duncan, while we were youth pastoring here in Oregon. When he was seven months old, we felt the Lord calling us to Scotland to plant a ministry school and a church. Literally, the day after we said yes to our mission organization, we found out we were pregnant again. So we stayed in Oregon and had our second son, Kelton. When he was five weeks old, we sold all our stuff, packed up what, what else we had left. It's like about our friends and our church family, we drove to Oxnard, California uh, for a year of training before heading to Scotland. Well, after a few weeks of trying to move into this new little home, meet a new, whole new team, uh, figuring out how to do life with a one and a half year old and a three month old, I was struggling um, to get over a flu bug and that's, when I discovered I was pregnant again. I was shocked to say the least. To say that this was not expected would have been the understatement of the year. Early in my motherhood journey, I had been drawn to Mary. I loved her heart. I loved her faith. But let's be clear, I did not have a Mary response. I was terrified and overwhelmed and questioned what the Lord had said to me only a few months earlier. Had we misread this next chapter of our life? Could I even do ministry life with a family with three under two and a half? The math did that up. I was struggling with just trusting Jesus. How could I be a part of leading a new work in a new place that I'd never been to? Was God still even in control? I remember thinking, I can't do this. I don't know who you think I am. Um, and do you really even know me, God? Confusion and numbness settled into my heart and my mind, which sent me into a nine-month desert season. I've never been there before, and I've never been there since. But that season was absolutely critical for the life that he was calling me to. In those nine months, Jesus took me to deeper levels with him than I could have ever imagined. There was a particular moment that would be forever a, chain, a turning point for me. I loved having boys because I came from an all-girl family. It was really fun. Crazy, but it was really fun. But with the pain-filled place my heart was at, I decided that the Lord owed me a girl. Yeah, don't ever say that to the Lord. 
But one evening, the Lord asked me, so gentle, it's so vivid for me to this day, what if you got that girl, but she didn't know me? And she didn't love me? Or if you got another boy that would love me with all his heart, what would you choose? That was my breaking point. I was completely broken. With tears streaming down my face, I said yes and surrendered complete control of my future. I only wanted what God wanted for my life. I went into labor two weeks early. It was really long and difficult. Um, but Tim got to deliver a beautiful baby girl, Mackenzie Grace. I didn't even deserve this sweet gift from God. But that's the God that we serve. It was always about him, never about her. He often gives us our heart's desires as we give him our whole heart. At that moment, I felt the sadness, the fear, the numbness completely leave me. It was a moment, and it was replaced by joy and faith. It's not that everything suddenly got easier. We were still headed overseas with this very young family. Kelton and Mackenzie were still less than a year apart. No, not easier, but good. And I imagine Mary had to keep reminding herself. She had to go back to that angelic moment time and time again. She knew the difficulties ahead were real, but that's what makes Mary's words to Gabriel so, more, so much more amazing. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your words to me be fulfilled. The word servant here is the same that is often used for bond slave. Mary was in effect saying, I surrender, Lord. I will do what you want and be who you want me to be. There is something about this kind of unabashed obedience that is so countercultural to us right now. We can say yes to Jesus, but it's often in our own terms. Yes, Lord, but I want to do what I want with my hopes and my desires and my dreams. Yes, Lord, but I'm going to call the shots on my identity, my bank account, and my schedule still. Mary shows us what it looks like to just say yes with no strings attached, and that's who I want to be. And we see a similar pattern in Joseph. Mm -hmm. uh, there's way less said about Joseph in Luke. Uh, so we learn a little bit more from Matthew's account of the, in his gospel, and where we're told that actually Joseph had his own little angelic moment where the angel came and told him to not be afraid to take Mary as his wife, uh, and that this baby was going to be conceived of the Holy Spirit, and that this baby would be named Jesus, and he would save his people from their sins. He would be the Messiah. But in Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, it is so understated. Uh, we, we simply read that Joseph obeyed. Yeah. And he stayed at Mary's side. Chapter 2, verse 5 says, He went there to register with Mary, who was mm -hmm. pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. That's all we read. Yeah. And again, he held to his pledge saying yes, yes to standing with her amidst the shame and rejection in the face of all of the difficult family conversations. And there would have been a bunch of them. How much easier would it have been for him to have simply walked away? I mean, we know from Matthew uh, that he was a righteous man and that he, he probably would have done it honorably, right? I mean, maybe even helped her find another home to raise her child in, but he didn't do that. And then he said yes to God. 
and being a substitute father. How intimidating for him to walk alongside the son of God, the one who knew who his real father was, how much insecurity, how many times not feeling like he was enough. Remember that moment where Jesus stays in the temple as a young boy? I mean, not only did Joseph literally lose God's son, I mean, not only did that, but then when he found him, he was reminded again of his reality. Joseph was not Jesus's father. Jesus had a different father. But Joseph still said yes. And really, it was him saying yes twice. Once to God and once to Mary. Once to standing in the shadow of the Almighty and once to standing shoulder to shoulder with his courageous wife. There is a beautiful love inside of Joseph that not only digs his heels in on his commitment to God, saying yes to the unknown, saying yes to the rejection, but also digging his heels in on his commitment to Mary. Joseph and Mary show us a picture of love that is built on mutual submission before God. And this idea of submission, it carries so much baggage today, but here we see it on display in all of its beautiful glory. A pledged husband and wife bowing down together before their maker, giving God and each other their yes. And this, this is the path to the things of God. A humble, courageous, obedient yes in the face of uncertainty and in the face of pain. Yeah, as we pull together our thoughts, I think there are two qualities that stand out as we consider Mary and Joseph. First, their faithfulness amidst obstacles. Mary and Joseph both show crazy faithfulness as they step into completely unknowns. For Mary, walking the uncertainty of being a young, pregnant, not yet wed mom who was experiencing something no human ever had. And then, as its pregnancy progressed, having difficult conversation after difficult conversation, enduring public shaming, and yet she pressed on and she took the next step. For Joseph, it was walking in the uncertainty of being a young, not yet wed father who would carry the weight of a pretty unusual family story for the rest of his life, defending his wife's honor, defending his honor, yet he pressed on and he took the next step. Mary and Joseph tell a very different story in a day and age when giving up, shrinking back has become our norm. They show us a picture of fighting forward as a family when society is telling them to quit, give up, and take the easy path. We need the example of Mary and Joseph more today than ever. So I wonder, as you sit here today on this Advent Sunday, if God might be calling you to persevere in some part of your life. Is God calling you to radical faithfulness like Mary through a time of trial and pain? Or like Joseph, is there a relationship that has gotten too difficult? Some family member you might be about ready to give up on. Is God calling you to this Christmas to fight like Mary and Joseph through the difficulty in front of you to see the name of Jesus lifted up? Mm. And the second quality that stands out uh, in, the, in this story is love amidst the manger. Mary and Joseph both show a radical love for God and each other, even in the muck of a manger. 
I imagine the moment in the manger was nothing like what Joseph and Mary had hoped it would be. I mean, you can imagine years earlier, imagining what it's going to be like to become a mom and dad someday. This was probably not the story they had in their mind. Instead of being surrounded by the sights and sounds of loved ones and neighbors like Zachariah and Elizabeth, they were surrounded by the sounds of bleeding animals. Instead of experiencing the smell of their own home, they were probably smelling other things. (laughs) The moment was unforgettable, but for all of the wrong reasons. But it was this moment, this moment that all of history would never forget. Because this was the moment when God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever would believe in him would not die, but have life eternal. You see, in the manger, we not only witness this beautiful picture of love between an almost husband and an almost wife, and a beautiful picture of this love between two faithful servants to their Savior, we also see the most powerful act of love that mankind has ever beheld, second only to maybe the cross. So notable, so important, that literally our history is divided along the line of this moment. Mm -hmm. When love came down in the form of a little baby, the moment that God made a way. Mm-hmm. Titus 2.11 says that the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Paul tells this, uh, his church planner, Titus, that God showed up, he came to town. And he was the living embodiment of grace and he appeared to bring salvation with him in the muck of that manger. In that moment when Mary and Joseph alone reflecting on what was less than an ideal moment for them looked at this little baby. Grace turned into a human In that moment, God showed up to save all people. For those of you in this room, walking in painful uncertainty, Jesus has come. Yes. For those of you who are living in fear and anxiety, Jesus has come. For those of you who feel like you are just outside of God's reach, Jesus has come. And he's made a way for us to be with him in his kingdom forever. Mm -hmm. I'd like to invite you to stand up. My friends, at Christmas... We celebrate this incredible couple and this incredible moment and we, and we, we immortalize it in these beautiful little nativity scenes. Mm-hmm. But let us not forget the powerful reality of the fact that this grace has become what it is so that we could step into it. Yeah. You might be standing in this room right now and, 
And, and you've never actually ever said, Jesus, I want in. I want to give you all that I have, all that I am. And I'm going to give you a moment right now to do that. So if I could have just everybody just close their eyes, bow their heads. If you're there and you've never prayed to ask Jesus to be your Lord, then say something like this. Pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I love you. And I don't understand all that you are to me yet, but I want to. Forgive me for the mistakes, for the sins, for the ways that I have not followed as I should. And right now, I give you all that I am. Lead me, Lord Jesus. If you prayed this prayer, I just want to encourage you, find somebody and tell them that you prayed the prayer. Find somebody and confess it out loud because Jesus, he has something more for you this Christmas season. This could be the most incredible Christmas ever for you. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to partner with us through giving, visit us at ajesuschurch.org.